this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello, this is the review of podcast from the Atlantic's culture team about movies, television, and all the things we make to entertain ourselves. I'm Sophie Gilbert, a staff writer at the Atlantic, and today I'm joined by two other staffers on our culture team, David Sims. Hello. And making her the review debut, Lenica Cruz. Hi, Sophie. Hi, David. Hi. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here. How are your Halloweens? Good. I went to Sleepy Hollow. Does that count? That counts as Halloweeny. It's the most Halloweeny thing you could do. A very Halloweeny play. I mean, I went in the daytime, but uh, but it's, it's so still spooky. it's very tricked up. They they go crazy in Sleepy Hollow for uh, decorations, skeletons, tombstones, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. It's sort of it's a, it's a Christmas to them up there. Did you dress up? I did not dress up. I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a Halloween humbug. I, I I promise. I just I just lack creativity. I always have. Lenica, did you dress up? I did not really, but I did go see my friend and her daughter, my goddaughter, and my friend had made matching butterfly wing costumes for the two of them, and they were so cute. And so we went on just this nice long nature walk, and every time people passed us, they were pointing and smiling at the two cuties in the butterfly costumes, and I was just me. Does not sound like we had spooky Halloween. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds I don't know, cool. Sophie, very did you cute. Have a spooky Halloween. Um, I didn't. I dressed as woman ravaged by motherhood, which is also what I wear every day. Um, <laughs> right. I dressed as dad whose left shoulder is starting to ache constantly. <laughs> no one tells you about. No one tells you about how your back will break after you have kids, and it will just be broken mm. forever. They don't tell you that. But my daughter, who is fifteen months, has fallen in love with a comfort object. Which is a Batman jumper, a jumper with Batman's face on. We have all these adorable toys and she is in love with this Batman jumper. She sleeps with it. She cried when I put it in the wash. And the cutest thing of all is that she can't talk. But when we do our Batman impressions, you know, like, where is he? She can't say the words, but she goes like, rah, rah, rah. I mean, that's basically what he sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, ravaged by motherhood, but Batman entertainment is fun. (laughs) Um, so it was Halloween this weekend, so we decided to step away from new things and watch a classic horror movie, which I, I think all of us are in agreement with. Absolute classic. We watched Gore Verbinski's 2002 movie, The Ring, 
which of course is the remake of the Japanese horror movie released in North America as Ringu. In the almost 20 years since it came out, it has had a vast influence on horror movies. Um, and so this was one of the reasons why we wanted to rewatch and see if it holds up as a modern horror classic. So first of all, David Lenica, I'll start with you, David. Are you a Ring fan? Yes, I certainly am. I had not seen this film in quite a long time. I saw it in theaters and I remember it scaring the sillies out of me. I think I was 16 years old. And I had seen Ringu. I had seen the uh, original film and it had quite a profound effect on me because that was, I rented that when I was like 13 or 14 from the video store, knowing very little, but being a pretentious little sort of uh, proto (laughs) film boy. So I was like, oh, I'll watch this Japanese horror movie. And like, I mean, no spoilers. Uh, well, whatever. Of course, we're spoiling the movie, but uh, you know, I didn't know that she was going to come out of that dang television the first time I saw the original, and oh, I no. have really never forgotten it. It's really such an effective scare. But anyway, but so so you know, I've always had a fondness for the original, and when I saw the remake, I was I think I was went in there being like, well, you know, this will be watered down, and I remember liking it at the time, but watching it now, I really was. I was sort of astonished at how well made it is compared to a lot of horror of my youth, a lot of like 2000s horror. Mm-hmm. I, it, it has stood up quite well, in my opinion. So, Lenica, you've also seen both. You've seen uh, Ringu in the Ring. Which, to your mind, is better and which did you see first? Oh, my gosh. That is an interesting question. Um, I Well, first, I'll answer your second question, which is I saw the American remake first, when it came out, also in theaters. I was 12, um, and I was not really, you know, did not have much of a a tolerance for scary things. I didn't, I don't think I really knew what the movie was about. One of my friends had told me that it's about a girl who is just climbing out of a well. Like, that's what I heard, and I was like, ah, I can handle that. That sounds fine. And from the first jump scare when the mom opens the closet door and sees her daughter, I was like, oh, no, I'm screwed. Like, this <laughs> is going to be really bad for me. Kind of uh, the biggest jump scare in the movie. I, oh, it yes. does not. It's not a jumpy movie. Yeah. I mean, not to, not to jump too far ahead, but that was the moment when I was like, okay, I have, like, ruined my life. Like, I was not, I'm not joking. I was like, I should probably leave the theater. But I sat there and I watched the rest of it and I walked out. And for the next two years, I basically had nightmares about the ring. I had to sleep on my parents' floor the first night after I watched it and then basically moved into my sister's room. So not saying that we should be judging the effectiveness of horror movies on how they affect the psyches of 12-year-olds. But I thought it was horrifyingly scary. And weirdly enough, I I have rewatched it a lot over the years, almost as if to like, exercise it from my mind thinking that maybe like exposure therapy almost um (laughs) and so now that I've rewatched it as an adult I'm like surprised by how the things that terrified me are still scary um but I can appreciate so many other elements of the movie now I think Ringu is maybe scarier in some ways but honestly the the American remake does hold its own okay wait I want to have words with the friend who told you that this was a movie about a girl coming out of a well because that's that's kind of understanding. <laughs> right. But this is also like, how did you go from being so formatively terrified by this movie to becoming Lenica Cruz fan of horror? <laughs> yeah, you, you like horror movies. Lenica. There is something here to psychoanalyze for sure. I, I really do think I almost subconsciously was like, I need to 
come to terms with this somehow. Like, uh, I was scared of the phone ringing. I was scared of seeing mirrors, lighthouses, like literally anything that appeared in this movie I was scared of. So it's interesting to be here talking to you both about this movie. <laughs> if you had told me 20 years ago that I was going to be in this position, I would not have believed you. But I'm ready, ready to go into the ring now. I do think because this is a PG-13 movie that came out when we were, you know, whenever, when a lot of millennials were teenagers, it is a movie a lot of people have seen who don't like horror. Like, my wife's seen this movie. She hates horror movies. Like, it was just kind of one of those things that got put on at sleepovers, right? Like, and it's not too, you know, gory or violent, so it can sort of, like, have a broader appeal. Maybe that's, I don't know. Yeah, so, it's well, just really thing, creepy, right? right? It, it came out in 2002, and prior to that, I think the 80s and 90s, most American horror movies were slasher movies. You know, there was a lot of bloody, gory there, violence. Right. There had been that, a big slasher revival, right, with Scream uh-huh. and all that. Right. The thing to be scared of was real. I mean, it was psychotic, but it was real. Where, and this was very much a revival of the supernatural horror film, you know, but the, the thing that's scaring you is, is intangible, and all the more terrifying for that. It kind of digs into your subconscious and into the realm of dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, David, for those people who haven't seen The Ring in 19 years since it came out, can you give us a quick catch-up on the main premise of the movie? So, uh, there's a little teaser, a little preview of how everything works. There's this videotape. It's cursed. If you watch it, you will get a weird phone call and then die within seven days of unexplained sort of heart failure you're basically scared to death have you heard about this videotape that kills you when you watch it i love the way these girls talk about it 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 does feel like the sort of you know urban legend that you would share at a sleepover the exact kind of night that you would be talking about this thing you start to play it and it's like somebody's nightmare which i think is actually such a great summary of what this tape looks like um it's otherwise very hard to encapsulate it's just a bunch of disconnected images that yes. make you feel weird when you watch it. Looks um, like a Nine Inch Nails video. Kind of. <laughs> it kind of reminds so, me of yeah. um, the Salvador Dali film and Chien de Oh my gosh, I was yeah, thinking that right. with the a eye, bit of right? That, right, yeah. sort of strange montage, nightmare images. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it's over, your phone rings. Someone knows you've watched it. And what they say is, you will die in seven days. You can't tell how seriously to take it because they kind of fake each other out and they're joking around. And so from the beginning, there's this uncertainty surrounding what exactly this thing is. Is it real? How afraid should we be of it? And then the phone rings. And I think that that's like the first, it sets up this almost like Pavlovian response that you'll have through the rest of the film. When you hear a phone ring, you're just like, oh no, (laughs) something is going, who is at the other end of that line? Naomi Watts plays a reporter who sort of tries to dig into tries to dig into this uh, when her niece dies in this way and uncovers this sort of weird, ghostly, folky tale on like a remote island in Washington State of a a girl who had strange powers and vanished and her family and these horses that all killed them. You know, it's basically like. The whole thing basically is like a folk tale that could really exist at any time, but then it has this sort of modern technological layer on top of it of this tape mm-hmm. 
that is sort of passed around and has this kind of physical presence beyond this sort of weird psychic frightening phenomenon that's going on. But yeah, it's it's mostly a mystery film about Naomi Watts sort of trying to do, figure out what's behind this strange phenomenon. And then it's just sort of like the right blend of like techno horror and modern sort of futuristic fears with a classic ghost story, classic vengeful ghost story. Your mother was going crazy. Morgan blamed the child. So he kept her here. David, how was The Ring received when it came out in 2002? Uh, fairly well. There was a little bit of uh, fondness for Hollywood just doing something different. Like even if it was a remake, like Hollywood was making a sort of horror movie that was kind of a swerve from recent trends, like the I Know What You Did Last Summer type horror movie. But beyond that, I think like Verbinski was sort of, Gore Verbinski was on this like rapid upswing. He was this music video director type, commercial director type, kind of like a lot of the directors who emerged in the 90s, this sort of David Fincher path where you like do flashy stuff and then you get some big projects. And his first two movies had both been much hyped and kind of disappointed. I like Mouse Hunt. I think Mouse Hunt is great. It was going to sign of a famous flop. The Mexican was the Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts movie that they are barely share the screen in and everyone was sort of like disappointed and baffled by it. And it's just like, it's funny to think of this as the last movie he makes before, and he must have made this movie fairly quickly, like before Pirates of the Caribbean and he becomes a super sensation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's also Naomi Watts' like big follow-up to Mulholland Drive, which had made her this sort of surprise star. Like, so I feel like there was just a lot of, a lot of goodwill for what seemed like a kind of a prestige horror project. This was a little bit classier than a lot of the teen horror that was being loaded in. So there was just like, the reviews are good. The negative reviews that I see are mostly like kind of boring. Like, you know, that, that was sort of the hit on it. It was like, ah, this isn't too thrilling, which... I feel like just is a is a misread. Yeah, I remember when it, maybe the Wall Street Journal review was like, oh, you might fall asleep. And I was like, what movie are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> falling asleep in this goddamn movie. I'm never falling and asleep it, again. And, and like The Ring, just to be a box office nerd for a second, is like a very famous case of like super word of mouth, the kind of thing that Hollywood is desperate for and so rarely can achieve. And I remember as a teenager... It was especially the first scene was just everyone was talking about it. Like, you won't believe how scary the first scene of this movie is. I mean, the word of mouth got to the point where you had 12 year olds telling each other that it's about a girl (laughs) crawling out of a well. And that's it. Like, that's that's literally I mean, that's how I heard about it. I feel like that first scene in the movie is like, oh, did you hear about this thing? And like, I don't really know. Yeah, sure. Let's let's get into this. Right. It's such a good prestige of how teens communicate. Yeah. It's about a fake urban legend that sort of becomes a real urban legend. Right. You know, that's that's yeah. the whole magic of it. Like you were saying, like, it's like you're watching a movie about a cursed videotape. You're probably watching it on VHS in 2003. <laughs> or whatever, you know? And it just sort of takes on a life of its own. That's part of the fun. Right. Yep, I remember going into block. Sorry, any way I talk about this movie, all my memories of it, it just pinpoints like when in time it came out and this, the specificity of it. Like I, um, when I was going to go watch this movie, we looked up the movie times in the physical newspaper, read the review by Roger Ebert where he gave it two stars. Um, and this is when my parents were deciding if they wanted to let me go see it. And they scanned the review and they're like, oh, like, I don't know. It sounds, he, Roger Ebert says it's, it's boring. And so like, it's probably fine for her to go see it. <laughs> the fact that it was PG-13, to your earlier point, David, I right. think 
made it so accessible for people. Um, there's very little blood. Honestly, there were very relatively few jump scares, I feel like, in this movie. And, uh, and very so... Few. Not really any. Yeah, yeah I, I, was, one, I was kind of... That's face. not what sticks yeah. in your mind about this. It's the images. The Blair Witch Project had come out a few years earlier, and I think that was another good example of this kind of word-of-mouth, urban legend-centric film where like, it could conceivably be real, um, the story of three kids disappearing into the woods, and this is all that's left of them. Like The Ring, there's a videotape you watch, and seven days later you die unless you pass it on. I mean, I think the Blair Witch Project's massive critical success and box office success then which was then followed by huge backlash when people went to see it and were like what it's just a bunch of people in the woods like the camera's so shaky i threw up you know like that became (laughs) kind of the counter narrative to the blair witch project i do think that scared critics off from fully raving a movie like the ring Mm -hmm. there's a weird sort of macho thing with horror movies i feel like with critics where you're like you don't want to say like this is the scariest goddamn thing i have seen in years because then like you know what if people go see it and they're kind of like whatever you know like that yeah. didn't do much for me you know like horror like atlantica's saying can be so specific to like where you are when you see it how old you are like what kind of things really get under your skin like there's there's very there even though obviously there's lots of masterpieces of the genre like there's very few movies that are just universally accepted as like the scariest know, utterly frightening for everybody right but I wanted to go back to what you both were talking about with jump scares. I mean, there might not be many beyond that first one, but there are lots of twists. <laughs> I mean, the moment where Brian Cox, our succession um, <laughs> king, Logan Roy, I mean, whacks right. Naomi in the head with a saddle. That's pretty scary. It's pretty scary. And he yes. like appears behind her first. And that is a kind of a jump scare. No, not a jump scare because there's no sound. He's just there. Can I see my mommy? No, Samara, not until we understand what's wrong with you. Naomi Watts goes to uncover this mystery. But in this scene, she's sitting there and watching these recordings of the little girl, Samara. We kind of learn her backstory where she's has some powers and her parents didn't know what to do about it. So they took her to this doctor to do tests on her and to figure out, like, what is happening, why... Why is this girl able to project images into other people's brains? And it turns out, project these images onto film and and record them. Samara, how did you make these pictures? As she's watching this tape of this girl, Richard Morgan, the father, appears behind her. And as the scene is happening, you have the lighthouse, the light from the lighthouse, which is like kind of spinning around. And it's this very kind of surreal, hypnotic scene. You killed Samara, didn't you? You killed her when your wife My had wife was not supposed to have a child! You realize, like, okay, she's uncovered basically the core of the mystery, what happened, and who this girl is. Mr. Morgan, come out of there! Those pictures. Oh, Christ. The thing she's showing you. She's still showing them. And she'll never stop. She certainly had these psychic abilities that drove everyone around her kind of mad. You know, her adoptive mother ended up killing herself. They locked her in the barn and the horses started throwing themselves into the water. So it is kind of a story about child abuse and neglect. Um, And if she hadn't had these powers, uh, well, one, maybe her parents wouldn't have treated her this way, but also her story would have just ended. And so these powers were were her only recourse. But he doesn't know. He doesn't know what? 
Samara. I wanted to talk about Samara because um, Ringu was based on a book. Mm-hmm. And in that book, the character of Samara became evil after she was sexually assaulted by a doctor in the institution that she was in, mm-hmm. which to me is so fascinating, right? Because like, talk about manifestations of rage and anger and, and wanting to take revenge. I think sexual violence is one of the most like mm-hmm. potent forces for that. Um, and often like often really used in terrible ways in film and television mm-hmm. too. But I just found that so fascinating. Whereas in in The Ring and in Ringu, Samara, as it turns out by the end, is just inherently evil. You sort of are led to believe that she was actually just treated cruelly by her adopted parents who, you know, and institutionalized and her parents preferred horses and no one cared about her and they you know, suffocated her and threw her in a well and left her to die for seven days. And Rachel, Naomi Watts' character, thinks that if she can just put Samara's body to rest, then the spirit of Samara will be at peace. And turns out that's not how it goes. Is she still in the dark place? No. We set her free. You helped her? Yeah. Why did you do that? I love that it wasn't just that. Like, I think both of those things are true, that she was mistreated and also that there was nothing to be done anymore. She doesn't actually want to be placated. She's dead. She can't have her life back. She can't have a family again. Uh, So she's going to take it away from everybody else. I do love the fake out in this movie that once Naomi Watts has uncovered the mystery and learned everything that you guys are talking about and found uh, Samara's corpse, she's like, great. I know how ghost stories work. I have freed the wayward spirit. Like, my, you know, the, the handprint on my arm is gone. I'm going to survive. Like, the, the curse is over. Um, and I is she, like, is Samara, like, malicious? Is that what's going on? Now, it's more like we just never knew how to deal with this. And just sort of acknowledging the wrong is not enough to prevent the, you know. Every horror movie, of course, has to end with the villain being like, I'm not dead, you know. You have, so you're, you're not rid of me. I, I just think this is a good way to do it rather than the sort of, you know, the classic kind of like, well, they're still alive and maybe we'll see him next time. All right. You know, roll credits. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I don't know, Sophie. You so you think of her just as this kind of purely evil spirit who maybe we don't even know where no. she came from, right? Like she, they talk about how she, like the parents went away. And I believe the Ring Two, the much maligned and fairly mm-hmm. horrible Ring Two, <laughs> clarifies that she might be kind of the product of like a water demon. <laughs> like, well, who, I mean, yeah, Jay Horror, I think appropriates some motifs from no theater and kabuki theater um and evil spirits exist within those traditions they ju- they just exist they don't 
you know, come from places that are just as, as much a force as, you know, light and air and anything else. Um, and so I always, I always thought of Samara as this really interesting character where the movie tricks you into thinking that she is a product of nurture, a product of abuse, like you said, Lanika, mm-hmm. of horrific mistreatment. And you're compelled as the viewer to feel sympathy for her as, as Rachel is. And then it turns out that actually she really is evil too. Mm-hmm. And that to me is, <laughs> is such a good trick. That's part um, of the trick, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where you want there to be a reason for her to be doing this. And that's what Rachel gets so tied up in as a journalist looking for maybe some sort of narrative that she can write her story around. David, what do you make of Samar? Um, I like her. She's cool. No. um, (laughs) (laughs) She's a chill chill lady. I I don't... Right. I mean, I don't think of her as like... She's not... To me, she's not like some inherently evil being... uh, in terms of like, she just was like a demon seed born to, you know, like it's, I I like thinking, I like thinking about her as more like if she's just a a product of various evils that have sort of compounded and not been helped. And so by the time she's institutionalized, the, the impression I always get from the clip that Naomi Watts watches of, of her in the mental hospital is that she kills her interrogator there. Like the, the, the the video kind of cuts off in this way where you feel like she's sort of like about to, uh, attack him mentally mm-hmm. and then like of course she drives the horses to madness when she's like locked up drives them to throw themselves off a cliff or whatever but like it's sort of like this ongoing tale of like we just don't know how to confront something supernatural and so we just like lock it away over and over again and that's why i love the image of the ring as the well closing on her which is is what it is in this film sort of much more explicitly because it's like that's our only recourse right is to just like bury it lock it away like get, throw away the key over and over again and that's why you know it's such a cool idea to merge that kind of a ghost story with like a tape that's viral that's like you know that's out of control that's that can't be buried that can't be like destroyed right like that's that's sort of entered the cultural ether you take one person's tragedy and force the world to experience it you spread it like sickness the film uses this metaphor motif of virality, of a sickness spreading. That was very explicit in the novel, which was where, you know, Sadako's character basically has like an illness that she spreads. And as this Isn't virus mutates, it, it's like smallpox, but then combined with her like psychic powers. Mm. So there's two different sicknesses that are created, one of which is a, a certain shape and the other one, which is like ring shaped. And that's where the ring title comes from and I I didn't quite realize that because you know in and then watching Ringu the 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 phone ringing is not as much of a thing like the the phone call that you receive after is is um is very it, it only happens really once in the film and then the the shape of the well the ring shape is is also not really discussed and that's something i realized that the the american remake had to to make clear like what is the ring what is the titular ring and i guess it's the <laughs> you know the phone ringing and then the well but in thinking how this story sort of mutated and transformed from the novel to the japanese adaptation to the american remake and then going on uh it's interesting how you know stories get get retold and parts of it kept and 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 transformed for future audiences 
but the virality is so interesting too that, that you just mentioned because now I mean it would be so it would be so different the nature of virality is so different now it'd be like oh watch uh. this cursed TikTok video <laughs> like click on this link um, like yeah. it, it, we'd all be dead we'd all be dead <laughs> That's in seconds the, because well, I mean it, look I have not know, seen rings <laughs> I the, saw rings in which I believe the video is uploaded to YouTube. Am I correct? Or something like that. Like it eventually goes oh. viral, like you're saying. Yeah. I, um, I reviewed it for theatlantic.com uh, once upon wow, a time. Cool website. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but like that's the other thing about this movie that is so funny to me is that it is extremely old fashioned now. And it's sort of this like last cry of analog media, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, the videotape is scary. Now to us, a videotape is so quaint. Like mm-hmm. the idea that um, something would have to be spread by people like copying tape. Like who the heck would copy VHS? Like, you needed like two players for that. Like that was so hard. Like, um, and whereas now it's like you say, Sophie, it would just be, it would be too, it would be boring. Like the world would be dead in a week. Like right. everyone would watch this stupid video. We all would. I'd well, maybe it. we'd all be saved because we everyone in the world would see it and then show friends and have copies. And right, I guess. Well, that's the thing. Like, it, the, like, I was going to ask you both what you think, if this movie is a critique of something, what is it a critique of? And I feel like many people's initial instincts would be like, oh, it's... Uh, the, a lot of scenes from the movie support this interpretation too, which is like, it's about how, you know, the things that we watch and how our, our addiction to watching things and screens. And uh, there's a scene where Naomi Watts's character is, is standing on her balcony while her ex-boyfriend is watching the tape inside. And she looks into these other apartment buildings and everyone has a TV. And she's like, oh, my gosh, people are just addicted to their TVs. Or that's that's how you right. can interpret it. Um, but it's not really a, the story is more about like you don't die by watching it. You die by not sharing it. And I think that is what is so resonant today, um, yeah. where we watch, you know, we all watch a lot of things, like a movie that is about, ah, you shouldn't be watching TV, like you got to read books and whatever, like that's, that's <laughs> boring. That's, it's so, it would be so like scoldy and, and like TV has been around for such a long time, but it does seem to be tapping into this metaphor of the virus now when it's so easy to share and and you don't have to go and have these two players and press the buttons to copy anything now you literally just have to click and the social media systems that we have enable that sharing so easily i don't think this movie is really a critique of tv watching that if you watch tv that it's going to rot your brain or whatever i think it is very interested in the question of how stories get spread, the responsibility of the people who spread those stories, and to to misinterpret them and to really consider the weight of that responsibility. So maybe to your point, so be like we wouldn't die because we would just keep sharing it and Samara's message would get out into the world and she'd be happy and no one would be dead. And that's not a scary <laughs> that's not a scary movie. <laughs> I think the moral of this story is don't leave the cursed videotape in the video player when your child is hanging around and can't sleep. Your child who possibly has psychic abilities and is already a bit creepy. Just just don't do that. Don't do that. David, I wanted to ask you, what kind of influence did The Ring have on movies and horror movies that came after it? Well, in Hollywood, you just see this sort of intense wave of these kinds of movies for the next five years. The Grudge, Dark Water, The Eye. There's a lot of sort of, you know, less, uh, what's it, Pulse 
Are you guys remember Pulse? Pulse. No? No one remembers Pulse? <laughs> I did I did uh, review the eye once back in the day. Um the Jessica Alba eye? Yes, the Jessica Alba remake, yes. Uh you know, and like in general, I feel like there was just this sort of swerve towards horror being very atmospheric, very sort of music video-y in its horror imagery, less gore, not so jumpy. And then the thing is, it's sort of a brief, much like almost any horror trend. Like it's basically dying out after a few years because audiences get a little inured to it and they they sort of want something new. And Saw, which comes out in what year does Saw come out? 2004? That jump starts like the next thing, which is the more like sort of super visceral edited to bits kind of like really, really, really hyperactive, really gory, tortury horror, which is hot for a while. You know what I mean? Like it, this stuff and <laughs> so it, they, these things always overlap. Hollywood is a very kind of monkey see monkey do organization where like they'll just sort of like turn the ship around and be like, OK, we need some of these. Like I love a lot of like Blumhouse movies, right? I, I like I like a lot of this sort of current horror trends. Like, they're certainly good horror movies. And then there's the sort of like A24 kind of, I hate to say, you know, but quote unquote, you know, elevated kind of arty horror <laughs> movie that's sort of uh, hot these days as well. But like, I do miss this kind of specific like techno horror mixed with old folky ghost story. Like I would mm-hmm. like to see, some sort of new take on this. I, they did make a grudge movie last year and it I was did. directed by, yeah, by Nicholas Pesquet, who's like, uh, was sort of like a interesting arty director, but like I, no one liked it and it kind of went nowhere. So I feel like we're still sort of waiting for someone to tap into what made this such a potent formula 20 years ago. I'm I not think, sure what it is. I think I have a, a suggestion for one that, that just popped into my mind. Um, it follows... Ooh. Oh, I love that movie. I uh, feel like great. not with the techno horror, but in the sense no, for of sure. like something spreading this understand, like something that feels very folky and then this sense of needing to spread something. But but I feel like it, it also low on the jump scares, creeping dread is is everything in this. There is no monster that you really see. The, the antagonist is invisible and anonymous and really just takes the form of the people around you. And so, yeah, that's, I, th- I think that was what popped into mind. There was a movie um, called Share that came out on HBO a couple of mm-hmm. years ago. Not strictly speaking a horror movie, but it's sort of a day in the life of a teenage girl who finds out from the beginning of the day that her sexual assault has gone viral. And the course of the day is just like the pings of her phone as it goes off and the reactions of her friends and her kind of state of increasing horror and tension as she realizes that everyone has seen and... It's it's really strikingly well done, um, and mm-hmm. it gets to the point too where every time her phone goes off, you're just like, oh my god, you know, you're like tensing mm-hmm. up. It's sort of similar to it. It follows in that sense, although of course there isn't you know a supernatural element to it or anything like that. Share is a good movie. That, that that's right. I guess that's sort of something we should acknowledge. Like a lot of the sort of post Get Out Blumhousey you know uh, horror movies are more blunt force and direct in their social commentary, which is uh-huh. an interesting and sort of exciting trend. You know, it follows is more of the kind of great blend, like what you're talking about. Like, yeah. Like a good blend of like, kind of feels like an eighties, uh, sort of a teen horror movie you'd watch on a VHS, like back in the day, but then has these sort of more ponderous, interesting uh-huh. elements as well. And like, you know, it's tougher when the movies, the horror movies are about, real issues that are 
tough to grapple with and upsetting like it, it's very powerful but obviously it makes it a little less of a sort of thrill ride entertaining thing the ring the rubinsky movie i, I think the one reason i salute it is it, it's so entertaining it is like mm-hmm. very gripping it for a two-hour movie it moves really well it looks great it looks slick it's got a movie star in it who's giving a good performance but it is you know, it's not entirely stupid either. Like it's not mm-hmm. it's not just sort of like junky roller coaster fun. Like that that's a hard balance to strike. The story itself, it feels more like a mystery at times than like a horror movie. And I I loved that sense of uncovering something alongside the journalist. And I think that that impulse of of, of curiosity, of wanting to uncover something like that makes this movie feel propulsive. And so I, I have been surprised by how well I think it has held up, uh, having rewatched it maybe every few years or so since I was since I was 12. Like David said, it, it's actually just a fun movie. You don't need to sit and think about what it might be saying about how trauma is passed down or what it's saying about you know, absent fathers or about any of these things, about technology, about the kinds of stories we tell. And and it's just a good, you know, grabs you by by your stomach <laughs> and pulls you along. Yeah. Um, as much as I love these quote unquote elevated horror movies that they're so smart and and you want to understand what they're saying. Like it's kind of nice to just sit there and be like terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about the moment when Samara crawls out of the television because that for me is a really formative moment. And I think it does something that TV and film are not supposed to do. I mean, they're supposed to stay in the realm of TV and film, right? They're not supposed to break the fourth wall. Anything that does is always like really unsettling in a fundamental level because it makes it feel like the terror is actually real. The the mundanity of it in Ringu, it's a little more glitzed up in the remake. There's a little more sort of digital sheen to what's happening. But... It's such a profound breaking of reality in a movie that has not really done too much of that. Like there's been like this, you know, little hints of the supernatural throughout, but like someone just coming out of a television, it's such a, in retrospect, sort of simple, not particularly dazzling idea, but like, it's just the sort of matter of factness with which it happens. The way your brain has to flip from like, I can rationalize this to like, well, I'm I'm doomed <laughs> like, like a woman's coming out of me through a screen like it is just it was unforgettable I I was very shaken up by the Ringu when I when I rented it like innocently as a 13 year old almost entirely because of that moment which is right at the end of the movie to be clear it's the kind of final hammer blow Because we're here and we're talking Gore Verbinski, I wanted to talk about his 2016 film, A Cure for Wellness, which I think, David, maybe I edited this review when you wrote about it. Possibly. And I was like, eels? What? Eels. <laughs> oh, did you edit it, Sophie? Oh, my gosh. I can't remember. I don't know. Okay. I want to I want to clarify. It actually came out in t- February 2017. It's listed oh, as 2016 because it premiered in 2016. But uh, that is Gore Verbinski's last movie uh, after him doing uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies and then like having this huge bomb with the Lone Ranger. Him trying to go back to more like the ring territory, right? Like I'll do like a really stylish horror movie. But The Cure for Wellness is, is like two and a half hours long and really... <laughs> strange and sort of baroque and has eels like you say and is 
way more violent than the ring. Like it is kind of like intense and visceral and totally turned audiences off. Like no one saw that movie. It was hmm. in and out of theaters, but I feel like it has a growing cult reputation because Verbinski really is good at thinking of specific imagery that will unsettle, like both in terms of stuff like the eels and that movie, but also just like the locations, the rooms, the, this sort of weird uh, wellness center that the whole movie is set in. Like, you know, the, the way he frames his sets can be very, very impressive. I love the sets in the ring. I love the creepy cabin. I love the video editing room. Like, you know, I, I love the way he sort of sets everything up. Watching this movie recently, what did you both take from it that maybe you didn't appreciate or understand or enjoy the first time around? Because for me, it really was this idea that Rachel is an ambivalent mother. Like when we talk about the uncanny, often a a thing that comes up when you're using uncanny motifs is doubling. And so you have Rachel, who's much more into her job than she is into her, I mean, to be fair, fairly spooky son. <laughs> but but then on the other hand, you have uh, Anna, the ob- adopted mother of Samara, who desperately wanted a child. And um, Rachel is kind of forced into this savior role with her son, this very like protective, impulsive, I must do anything, even if it means killing for him by intimation at the end. You're going to be okay. What about the person we show it to? What happens to them? And she just doesn't answer. <laughs> like, it, it just kind of plays with that role in a way that I'm I'm much more interested now than I was back then. What about you both? The sound in this movie, one of the things that I realized for the first time was how the sound of the rain in Seattle makes you think of static. It sounds almost exactly the same, oh. and that's going throughout the entire film. And so you have this undercurrent of, again, it, it plays with like the, the, the phone ringing, the, the static, the rain, um, the, the almost, I don't know how you would describe it, this, this like, not scraping, but it's this like piercing whistling sound of the, of the stone being pushed across the well. Noah! There's so many moments in the film where, yes, it's 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 visually frightening, but also the sound just like hooks itself into your brain. Yeah, it's really distinctive. Like you can hear that sound and you can immediately be like, oh, I'm watching the ring. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, it's really, really good. It, it, it's really visceral. Like you, I think you mentioned before that it wraps your hand around its stomach <laughs> every time. I, that's such a good point about the rain and the the static. It sort of speaks again to the use of doubling and the idea that everything mm-hmm. has its its other. My takeaway from this movie in 2021 is I would like Hollywood to make a movie like this again. Yeah. That'd be fine by me. That's as much as I have this whole take of it, like that this is the weird, as much as it was a techno horror revolution at the time, like this feels like such a wonderfully antiquated, like homage to the creepy specificity of analog and a VHS. Like the VHS is this like now dead format that, and yet the ring almost feels like it should be watched on like a 14 inch square TV in VHS with like weird static and like the sounds a little goofy and that's sort of part of the fun. So it does have that kind of built in retroness that I miss and would feel a little tacky now. But um, like, I just, I just love a sort of slick expensive 
ghost story. Like, and the the Blumhouse model of cheap, cheerful horror, where like sort of every corner's been cut and maybe you figure it out, maybe you don't, where like digital effects are so crucial to the scares. That's fine. I just think like there's so much to movies that can draw scares out of someone just looking around a room and sort of building up the tension like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this this is a sort of broader like trendy take on it, but still I do. That is what I so enjoyed about revisiting The Ring. Yeah. I fully expect um, people to make fun of me for being like, oh, I kind of feel for the little girl crawling out of the well. I mean... <laughs> She kills lots of people. <gasps> she's not she's not a great sympathetic villain, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still scared of her. I mean, she scares people to death. That's kind of a jam. She's also, you know, in many ways an amateur filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> Just hanging out, projecting her images into videotapes. Student film, right? They kind of made that joke. She's just making her art. <laughs> it's indie. It's low budge. It's it's it's, it's viral, yes, it's a viral success. She's a viral artist. She takes these great images and burns them into your brain. Like, yeah. what's, what's, what's more effective? Sundance can't do that. <laughs> I wanted to end with uh, Lenica, you've inspired me in talking about how scarred you were by the ring. I wanted to end by asking oh, yeah. you, apart from the ring and you, David, which movie scarred you the most as a child? And I will start <gasps> and say that it was Tim Burton's 1989 Batman which I think I was six when that movie came out and my brother watched it probably a year later or something on VHS. And uh, Jack Nicholson's The Joker scared me probably for a decade. Um, and my brother would creep up behind me all the time and whisper, Smilex. And, and I would cry <laughs> and have to leave the room. I was so scared. I couldn't sleep. Every nightmare I had was about The Joker. Every nightmare I had was about poison gas. It was literally scarring and now my daughter as we know is plaguing me by wearing a batman jumper so full there's circle just no escape yeah we are we are back to the beginning again i'm haunted by this movie uh david what scarred you the most as a kid it's a film you actually once assigned me to write about nicholas rogues the witches uh which i feel like is such Ooh. a classic mm. for my generation because it was a movie that parents would rent for their kids being like yes yeah, wrote doll right like you read the witches and i think I, like many other kids, was just completely unprepared for how frightening the reveal of Angelica Houston's witch face would be. Uh, and it's just one of those moments I remember where, I, like, as a kid, I was like, I think I have to, like, leave the room. I think I have to get away from this. Like, I, I'm just not ready for this at all. Uh, that was a huge one for me. Mulholland Drive when I was 15 years old is, like, that's one of oh, the boy. first truly oh profound, God. like, cinema in theater frightening experiences where oh. I did not, like, you know... Which rules? I mean, I love it. I think on that so fondly, but it was that was that was a huge one. The Winkies Diner scene yeah. in the restaurant. Yeah. Um, I have to use this time to double down on the ring. I tried to think of anything <laughs> else. And Sophie, you mentioned nightmares. I literally had nightmares about this movie, about um, brushing hair, about mirrors, about Samara coming out and, and just kind of hanging around me. So I don't think there was any movie, even when I was a child, that had that same effect. I think I I just, it ruined me. And then remade me, I guess. Here I am talking about it now. I mean, it's kind of lucky that wells aren't really a big part in our culture now anymore. Can you imagine now having to go out to the no, well, get your water? absolutely not. Never. I would, I would just dehydrate. Like, I would just not get any water. <laughs> <laughs> not even once. No more wells. That 
does it for the show. The review is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from AC Valdez. Our art is by Shirley Lemignon. I'm Sophie Gilbert. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you, Lenica. Thank you, Soph. The review will return in seven days. (laughs) 